0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.
1: We have a time of scripture reading now, and the passage is taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. I'll give you a moment to grab your Bibles or turn on your app and get to the passage. Alternatively, you may like to just follow on the screen as well. Right. Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 to 23, starting from verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And this is the word of the Lord. now, now invite Pastor Andrew on to uh, give us a sermon for today. Can you hear me?
0: Great. Please, can you give me... Oh, right, sorry. Hey, it's really great to see all of you here today. Wonderful that we can sing together as well. I think, did you enjoy singing together? I know I did. And uh, it's a really wonderful thing that we can actually come and praise God with our voices. So before we look at God's word, why don't we go to God in prayer now? So I'm going to invite you all to bow your heads, join me in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you indeed so much that uh, we are able after a year's break to really be able to come and sing praises to you together. And what a great privilege it is that we come worship you in this way with our voices. And we just pray too that as we come to your word today, we would give it due attention, we pray that you may truly help us to know you better. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to ask you, consider this word, know. Okay, the word know, not N-O, but K-N-O-W. What does this word mean? Know. It could mean knowledge. It's a bit like uh, someone I know who not only has degrees from one university or two universities, or three universities, this person actually has degrees from four universities. So you might say, this person knows a lot, right? They got a lot of knowledge. Know can also be used in, uh, in uh, terms of relationship. You know, like I know my wife, Cheryl. I've known her since 1989. I've been married to her for 29 years. So I know my wife. The question I want to put to you today is, what do you know well? And who do you know well? And what do you know well? And who do you know well? I remember a few years ago, my car broke down. And I knew nothing about car mechanic. You know, I was like, what's happening here? I mean, I knew a lot of things about, a lot of things, but at that moment in time, my knowledge was completely useless, right? My, my car is lying helpless by the road and I don't know what to do. And I didn't know anybody who could help me fix my car. so I had. Very, very little relevant knowledge at that time. And I wonder whether it's the same for you, whether what you know and who you know are really the most important things that you should be knowing. So today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 15 to 23. But before we get there, it's very, very important for us to understand the background of what chapter 15, sorry, chapter 1 verse 15 to 23 is saying. So, two weeks ago, we looked at this passage and the first thing, the very first thing that we saw, which was exceedingly important, was that God has given us everything. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms of every spiritual blessing of Christ. And that's something that we truly have to give thanks for. So, I put a little heart here, okay? So, we give thanks because God is the one who's given us all these wonderful gifts, every spiritual blessing. In Christ. And that doesn't come about because of ourselves, because we are such worthy people that we deserve these spiritual blessings. But it comes because of God. God is the one who initiates. God chose us for the creation of the world. God predestined us to be adopted. He did so because of his glorious grace for us, because of the riches of God's grace. He is the initiator. He is the first mover. He is the one that acts on our behalf, fully on his own accord. So we have lots to give thanks for because God is the one who acts first for us. And these blessings that God gives us comes only through Jesus because we are in Jesus, because we have Jesus together with us. And so again, in this passage, if you look here, It says there, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has given us all these blessings in Jesus, shows us in Him, be adopted through Jesus, and also we have redemption through His blood. And so, if God has given all these things for us to be thankful for because He acted first, then it's only because it all happens because we are in Jesus, through Jesus, and with Jesus. So to summarize what we learned a few weeks ago, chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, basically as Christians we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of God alone through Christ alone. Now this is so important to keep, and I'm going to keep reminding you of this because this, today's passage begins with the phrase, for this reason, right? for this reason, okay? for this reason. It is for the reason that we have all these things because of God alone, in Christ alone, for this reason. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now this is so important for us to take note of. Here, the right response that Paul says because God has done these things is to pray and give thanks to God. He prays and gives thanks because he recognizes the faith of Christians and their love for all the saints. Now, this is very instructive for us, isn't it? Because it shows us that we give thanks to God for our faith. We give thanks to God for the love of Christians. So the last holiday I had, I don't know, can you think of the last holiday you had before, before COVID? Well, the last holiday I had, I had to think very carefully, was to go to Krabby. In Thailand. And when I went to Krabi, we stayed at the Holiday Inn Express. Maybe some of you stay there. It seems like a very popular hotel. Anyway, when I went to the reception counter, the lady said, thank you very much for choosing to stay with us at Holiday Inn Express. Now, Paul doesn't thank the Ephesian Christians for choosing Jesus. He thanks God that they have the faith. He thanks God that they have the love. God is the one that chose chose them. God is the one that predestined them. And therefore, it is only right that, that Paul thanks God for their faith and their love. Now, I wonder whether for yourselves, as you look to the person on your right, you look to the person on your left, whether you ever thank God for their faith. Whether you ever thank God for their love for other Christians. Because it is not because they themselves have chosen, have taken the first move towards God. It's because God has first moved towards them. But here is this passage. Paul doesn't just give thanks for people who are close to them, to him. He prays for people who he may never, ever meet. He prays for the people whose faith that he has heard of, whose love that he has heard of. That's remarkable, isn't it? And I think that's a very important example for us. Whether we just give thanks just for these people close in our inner circle, or whether we actually give thanks for people beyond our inner circle. And so because, again, as we said right at the very beginning, because of what we learned in verse 1 to 15, because every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has come because of God alone, through Christ alone, Therefore, the first response must be to give thanks to God. To God be the glory, right, in a sense. God is the one who has initiated it. God is the one who has purposed it. God is the one for whom it is possible that we can be saved in this way. So give thanks to God. The second thing that Paul says is, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, I want you to pay attention here to the family of words which are part of the knowing family. He asked God, what for? That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the Holy Spirit may fill you with knowledge, wisdom, and revelation, that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know hope to which He has called you. So the question I asked right at the very introduction was, what do you know well? Who do you know well? Paul says here that because God is the one who does all these things, his prayer for them is that they may know God well. That, he, that they may know God well in terms of knowing what God has done for them. That they may know God relationally better through the knowledge of what God has done for them. That through the Holy Spirit itself they may have wisdom, revelation, enlightenment, so they may know God better. Do you ever pray that prayer for yourself? Do you ever pray, God, that I may know you better? Right? Because usually when we pray, we pray for things, right? We pray for more things. But Paul doesn't pray for more things. He prays that they may know better the things that God has already done for them. He prays that they may know him relationally better. Now, I think that as we look at the the many sorts of Christians in in, in the world, Singapore, and obviously this is a caricature, so I don't want you to take it to an extreme, but, but many Christians seem to have a different view of the Christian life. So there's a group of Christians who think that the Christian life is all about experiencing God. They want to experience God through singing songs like we just sang, you know? So maybe you go to their church and you stand and sing for hours, right? They want to experience God through through some speaking in tongues or some religious experience. They want to experience God in, I guess, their emotions. But, but actually, you don't really get to know God, right? You don't know Him in the way that Paul is asking God for God to reveal himself to the Fijian Christian. You can sing songs for hours. You can have lots of speaking in tongues. You can, you can have lots of religious experiences, but you don't really know God and you don't really develop a deep relationship. You just have a shallow relationship. The other Christians for whom Christianity is all about religious practices and religious rituals. So they come to church and they just want to do the rituals and they want to get out. I have a relative of mine in Malaysia and she goes to a church service in a language that is completely unintelligible to her. But she wants to go to that church service because she can get communion. But does she get to know God? No, right? Her Christian life is all about religious practice, religious ritual of of having the communion every week. Again, this is not right. This is not what Paul is praying for Christians. Christianity is about knowing God better, knowing what God has done for you, and having a a deeper relationship through that knowledge. There's another popular sort of Christianity, Oops. where we know God, but we only want to know God as in how it relates to me. I'm the focus. So, there are a few books right? by Pastor Prince about uh, about God, but actually it's all about me, not really about God, right? It's, it's how God is doing things for me. And it's about, uh, as you can see here, success, wholeness, victorious living, health, and life. Again, there are other very popular books. You can just go to the Christian bookshop so you can see them uh, by Joel Olstein again. There there is a little bit of knowledge about God, but it's, it's always mediated for the purpose of what's in it for me, right? my life, how to be successful or happy now. But these things don't really reveal to us the real God, the real God that we see in verse 1 to 15. The glorious God, His power and what He has done for us. And so there's a book that was written many years ago. I'd like to recommend it to you, Knowing God by J.R. Packer. And the quote that he gives right at the very beginning is very helpful. He says, you know, why did I choose to write this book, Knowing God? That Christian minds have been conformed to the modern spirit. Great thoughts of man and leaves only small thoughts of God. The modern way with God is to set him at a distance. If not to deny him altogether... The irony is that modern Christians preoccupied with maintaining religious practices in an irreligious world have allowed themselves, sorry, have have themselves allowed God to become remote. And I think that's true. If you think of Christians who go to church just for communion, Christians who go to church just for speaking in tongues and singing Christian songs, Christians who go to church just to hear about how God is going to bless them, then actually God has become very small. Uh, your thoughts of of God have become very small. God is truly at a distance. You you don't have a knowing, deep relationship with God anymore. So what do we learn here in this section? Well, if God is the one for whom every spiritual blessing has come to us, through God alone, through Christ alone, then yes, we give thanks to God, but we must pray to know God better. right. We want to know what God has done for us. We need to be reminded over and over again what God has done for us and choose to know Him better. The passage just goes on to say in verse 18 I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, here, There are three things that uh, um, that paul wants us to know okay so very simple Uh, one the hope two inheritance three power but i think what unites them all is this idea of oops wrong 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 one wrong highlighter this thing of glory this idea of glory is kind of like saturating the section God wants us to know him as a glorious God. Hey, I don't know whether you think about God that way. We might think of God as loving, God is gracious, but He is a He's a glorious God. Okay, so what does this mean? A glorious God. Glorious means He's excellent, He's praiseworthy, He's He's He's, he's splendid, He's you know, in, in the things that He does, He is excellent. And what does He do? Well, First and foremost, we see how glorious He is through the hope to which He has called you. And as we have seen in the previous week, the hope that we have is a glorious hope. It is a certain hope because He chose us, because He predestined us. I mean, that's glorious, isn't it? Because God's purposes, He is so glorious that His purposes for us cannot be Prevented or thwarted, or misdirected in any way. When God wants it to happen, that hope is going to come to us. That hope comes to us once again because of God's glorious grace. Right? We don't deserve this; it's unmerited. But God's grace is so amazing, so glorious that we receive it anyway. We receive this hope even though we don't deserve. It. And again, last and well, last and not least, is that it is going to reach its fulfillment when all things are brought under the feet of Jesus Christ. That's glorious because he's going to be powerful over all things. Now, it's not just uh, this hope that shows the glory of God, but also the next section, which is this inheritance that is mentioned here. Now, I want you all to pay attention quickly at this point Because it's very easy for us to just zip past this point and we just zip past it and we think, okay, we understand what it's saying. But what we think it's saying actually is not what it's saying. So when we read this, we think, oh, it's because our inheritance, right? Andrew Ong's inheritance, your inheritance, our inheritance is so glorious, so it reveals a glorious God. But notice what it says. It doesn't say It doesn't talk about our Christian inheritance. It talks about the riches of His inheritance, God's inheritance. And God's inheritance in the saints. The saints themselves are God's glorious inheritance. Now you might ask yourself, how are God's Christians, God's saints, glorious? How are we glorious? I mean, when I look at you, some of you don't look so glorious, right? Okay. But why are we so glorious? How do we represent God's glorious inheritance? When he looks at us, why does he feel that we are the glorious inheritance of God? I think it comes back again to verse 1 to 15 where it talks about the Jews and the Gentiles who are now all part of God's saved people. Because you know why? In the ancient world, the Jews and the, and the Gentiles, they never get along at all. They're they, they hate each other. There's this hostility between one another. And it's glorious because God can bring together these two groups of people who hate each other together and, and to love each other because they are saved in Jesus and because they will go to heaven together. It is glorious for us because it means that whether we are Chinese, whether you're Indian, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you are educated or not educated, whether you are clever or not clever, whether you're young or whether you're old, we all are part of God's family, and that is glorious. God has opened the door through Jesus, where every person in humanity humanity can walk through to be saved. I think that's very important for us to hear in the world that we live in today, because in the world that we live in today, oh, okay, uh, the Revelation passage actually says the same thing, right? Because here, with the blood of Jesus, right, God has purchased men from every tribe, language, and people and nation, and for this, honor, glory, and praise comes God and the lamb and I think this is so important for us here because we live in a world now where it's very hard to feel belonging because of COVID. people are divided among themselves, people find that They're more outsiders than insiders. So if you think about it now, as an Asian, if you go to parts of the West, people see you as an outsider, right? Um, So even like in places like in America, which traditionally were very accepting of foreigners, even now, right? Asians may not, you may not feel so accepted. Even in places like Germany, which are very open to refugees and things like that, People may feel that they do not belong. And I think it's wonderful here because the glorious riches of God's inheritance in the saints, in us, shows that we all, whether you're young, poor, rich, bad, whether you feel accepted in Singapore or the world, God accepts you. You belong to God's family. You are part of God's family. It's glorious because everyone every member of humanity has a place in this glorious inheritance that God has achieved through Jesus Christ. Now the last section, oh, sorry, before I do that, I should show you my diagram because so much effort in it, okay? So, because of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because of God alone, through Christ alone, give thanks to God, yes? Pray that we may know glorious God better, yes? Pray that we may know the hope that we have, and pray that we may know God's inheritance, right? That we all belong there. That we all have a place there. Now the last section is slightly longer than the rest. And this section has to do with God's power. Okay, So the last part was about the third point, remember? Third point was about God's power. And he expands on this topic of God's power incomparable great power, in the next four verses. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him fills everything in every way. Remarkable, right? So the first thing we see here is the evidence, there's clear evidence for the power of God because God raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. So theologically, theologically, The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the glorification of Jesus from the earth to heaven, show the power, incomparable power of God. Only God can do this. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can bring human up to heaven. And this power doesn't end there, right? Because it is going to be exerted some more so that Jesus sits today far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given. So here we see the breadth and we see the depth of the power of God. Jesus, the breadth of His power exhibited through God's power, is is greater than every power in heaven and earth. Every rule, authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given Jesus sits above it because God is placed him there. The depth of the power is seen, which color shall I use? Okay, this way. Because Jesus is placed far above all these things. It's not as if he's like slightly higher than say, President of America or something, right? He's like far above every power, rule, authority, and dominion that can ever exist. He's far, far above that. Not only that, but he transcends time, right? Because, you know, you could be powerful today, but tomorrow, the power may wane. But here it says that Jesus has been placed by God not only in this present age, but in the age to come. And uh, in the last verse, verse 23, is like this overwhelming picture of the bigness of God, right? So, you know, children's church always say, you know, how big is my God, right? My God is so strong, so mighty, right? Okay, so... It's like, here's Jesus, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way, right? You know, it's like, what more, you know, what more words can you say? He is so big, Jesus, that He fills everything in every way. There's nothing that Jesus, the power of Jesus, does not touch. And we need to know that. God wants us to know that. We have to pray to know the power of God. Why? Because it is so important for us to know the power of God, because this power, works for us. It works for us. Okay, So we go back again, remember? This power is just not some neutral power for us as Christians. This power is for us who believe for the church. Now this is, this is really good, important news. Do you know that? Do you know the power of God? How powerful God is? Do you know that this great power is actually at work for you? So I remember listening to uh, one of my Christian friends telling me about how they went for a church camp in Malaysia. Uh, so someone in the first service made a joke saying they only need to do this in Malaysia. Okay, but don't worry about this. But they went to this church camp in Malaysia and they went to every hotel room where the participants were staying in to, to bless the room with holy water, cast out evil spirits. You know, you never know what's going, what happens in the room right? whatever, right? And then, you know, if you think about it, if you, if you apply what we've just read here in Ephesians is, if Jesus is so powerful and God is so powerful, why do you need to be so scared of some spirit in the room? If the spirit is really there, do you really need to go to every room to put holy water on every corner? You know, if you know the power of God, then do you really need to do this? Do you need to fear it? Again, um, I've had friends of mine invite me to go on prayer walks. You know what prayer walks are? So, prayer walks are where you gather these groups of Christians and then you go to parts of the world or to go to parts of Singapore and you walk in, in, in that particular area. And so, I asked my friend, I said, why, why why do you need to prayer walk? Why do you need to go to this particular thing? He said, so, oh, you know, because this area is kind of like under the influence or the power of this, satanic, demonic influence. So therefore, we have to go in there like an advanced party to kind of like disrupt their influence. But if you, if you know the power of God, how powerful God is, His incomparably great power, which has set Jesus far above every title, rule, authority, dominion, then do you really need Go into this foreign territory, which is controlled by some sort of demon? Because doesn't G- D- Jesus already far above rule everything? You don't, right? So I remember once I was wearing this uh, t-shirt in Chinese New Year. I went to visit someone. And then this t-shirt had this animal, kind of like weird animal print on it. And then uh, this Christian person said, hey, you know, you shouldn't be wearing that t-shirt because you know that t-shirt has the animal thing and you might get possessed. And I was thinking, wow, you know, as a Christian, Pretty, pretty, uh, I'll be a nervous wreck. Because, you know, I can't go to a hotel room. There might be a spirit there. I can't wear this t-shirt because, you know, I don't know what animals there are that might possess me. But actually betrays a lack of knowledge, right? You don't know how powerful God really is. And you don't know how powerful Jesus really is. too. Therefore, we need to know this, how powerful God is. We need to know how powerful Jesus is based on what they have done. So in summary, if Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, which we learned two weeks ago, is about the reality of what God has done, then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23 is to know this glorious God better. We pray not for new things or new blessings, but to know better the blessings we've already received, to know better the God we already have. Now you all know that I watch all sorts of weird movies and read weird books, so I mean, I read this book called The Mist, and uh, I watched uh, the movie as well. Anyway, if you don't like uh, sort uh, sci-fi scary movies, it's okay because I'm going to tell you the ending anyway now, right? So at the end of the movie, uh, what happens is uh, these uh, monsters from some another dimension break into this world. Uh, okay, it's a science fiction movie, and so at the end anyway. Humanity is really getting, uh, you know, getting kicked around really badly by these other dimension huge monsters. Anyway, so this guy, the main character, he's uh, trapped in the car with uh, four other people, and uh, petrol runs out of fuel. So, they've got a gun, only four bullets left, five people in the car. So, the guy, out of mercy, kills the other four people. Right. You so I think, okay, see, I saved you watching this terrible movie, this terrible ending, right? You saved one and a half hours of your life not watching this terrible movie to come to the ending. And then just as he does that, the U.S. Army comes to the rescue, right? And then, uh, manages to defeat the, 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 the monsters and he's, he's left regretting killing, uh, those people. Not a very good movie ending. Huh? But when I think about it, really, it's a failure of knowing. Right? It's a failure of knowing. It's a failure of knowing how powerful the U.S. Army was that it could defeat these, these, uh, these monsters. It's a failure of knowing that the U.S. Army was so close that he could actually be rescued by the U.S. Army. I mean, in the same way for us today, we need to know God better because God truly is a glorious God. We have a glorious hope, which is certain and sure. We have a glorious inheritance, which we all have a place in, which we all belong to. We have a glorious, incomparable power, which which is working for us, for the church. And Jesus is set to rule over all things. When you know all these things, and you know this God personally, then you don't have to be scared of anything, right? Your, your hope is strong. Your faith is strong. Your your, your, your walk is secure. And so all the more, as we reflect on today's passage, I want to leave you with uh, these reflection questions which I want you to discuss for the next five minutes here at the church or in your breakout rooms in Zoom. Do you really know God? Do you really know God well? Do you want to know God well? Do you pray to know God well? And how is the knowing of God better going to affect you in your walk? Okay, so please start chatting in your groups of uh, eight, whatever, and in your breakout rooms. And then uh, you can uh, invite Johnson to come up later after five minutes to resume our service together. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.